Would you go ahead and look in your Bibles for the book of Amos? If, you don't, if you're not already there, I'll give you five minutes. <laughs> we'll open up to the book of, book of Amos. I want to point something out to you right away here, so that's why I want you to find it if you can. Amos chapter 1. Amos begins in, in a really interesting way. You can see in, in Amos chapter 1, verse 2, the Lord is very angry. The Lord kind of has a bad reputation for being angry, so this steps right into that. But he's very angry. The Lord, uh, the Lord says that the, Amos says, The Lord roars from Zion and utters his voice from Jerusalem. The pastures of the shepherds mourn and the top of Carmel withers. He's, he's very angry, and his anger is directed at a series of, uh, of the typical bad guys. The typical bad guys. So did you notice this sort of uh, reoccurring phrasing as Lily read? Thus the Lord says, verse 3, For three transgressions of Damascus, and for four I will not revoke the punishment. Look at verse 6, For three transgressions of Gaza, and for four I will not revoke the punishment. Verse 9, Thus says the Lord, For three transgressions of Tyre, and for four I will not revoke the punishment. Verse 11, Thus says the Lord, For three transgressions of Edom, and for four I will not revoke the punishment. This three, three, three transgressions and for four is like three's enough, but they actually got four. Right? Three's enough, but they've actually exceeded that. He keeps going. Verse 13, for three transgressions of the Ammonites, and for four, I will not revoke the punishment. Chapter 2 begins, thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Moab, and for four, I will not revoke the punishment. Now you can, I want you to imagine that the first readers, the first hearers of this, Amos' first audiences, this would have been whipping them up into a frenzy. Right? As soon as they hear the Lord is roaring from Zion and withering the, shed, the, the, the pastures, and, and uh, oh, they hear, who's he mad about? Who's, he's mad at Damascus. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Who's he mad at? Who's he, oh, he's mad at Gaza. Oh, that's right. Come on. Preach it. Who's he mad at? He's mad at Tyre. Oh, that's right. All those, oh, you know, and people are starting to wave stuff, and they're getting excited because these are the, all the people that the people of Israel hated. These are all their neighbors. These are all their, uh, you know, the neighboring nations. And so as Amos is, is working through this, boy, they're getting excited. They're saying, Amen. They're going to preach, brother, preach. This is the truth. These people are what's wrong with the world. What would that be for us, right? This would be some easy points that some preacher could score up here, right? Oh, the injustice of the world. Do you hear what the Chinese are doing to the minority, ethnic minorities in their Oh, it's just horrible. Oh, the injustice of the world. Do you hear what's happening in, in Iraq and Iran among the extreme Muslim extremists? We go, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But then, did you notice this? Who does he tag next? Chapter 2, verse 4. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Judah, and for four I will not revoke. Mm-hmm, what? <laughs> Sound like you said Judah. Verse 6, thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Israel, and for four, I will not revoke the punishment. And he lays into Israel. We talked about this, the difference between Judah and Israel last week. Judah were the southern tribes that were uh, more or less sort of in it with the Davidic covenant and with God's promises. And Israel, the kingdom of Israel, was the northern tribes that had said, we're going to see how we can do on our own without God's promises, God's word, God's worship, all that stuff. Uh, so, he's laying into those people. And you can imagine that the, the, all of a sudden, right, this is very quiet in his congregation. Very quiet. Just to give you a little bit more of the context for the book of Amos, Amos is 
writing to people living during the reign in Israel of King Jeroboam II. Jeroboam II was everything you would want in a king in that world. He was a successful military leader. He was a savvy diplomat. And so he was ushering in a time in that kingdom of Israel of unprecedented economic growth. But in God's eyes, he was one of the worst kings ever. So you can imagine that most people, when they thought of King Jeroboam, they thought, you know what, see, we don't need Yahweh. We don't need the promises of God. We don't need Moses and that old mountain, his tablet business. We don't need that stuff because Jeroboam II is making Israel great. Israel's thinking that they're looking, at, right, they're looking at their bank accounts. They're looking at their stores and their stockpiles. They're looking at their flocks and herds and they're saying, look how blessed we are by God. Judah is wrong. Look at how blessed we are. Look at how happy God is with us. Jeroboam is God's man to make Israel great and, and all of the Lord's prophets who work for Jeroboam say so. So you can imagine their shock in Amos's sermon. He gets them all riled up and then he reveals at the end of it who God is most angry with. He reveals at the very end the identity of the one who's going to get it the worst. And it's, it's us? What? We're getting it worse than Syria? We're getting it more than Philistia? We're getting it more than Edom? This is, of course, if you're familiar with the prophets in the Old Testament, this is a classic prophet move. Do you remember the story of David and Bathsheba and Uriah? Uh, where David commits adultery, commits murder, all this stuff, and he thinks he's kind of okay with it. He's kind of gotten away with it. And then Nathan comes, and he tells David a story about how there's, I won't, I mean, you know, the two, two uh, guys who own big flocks, and, and one guy owns big flocks, and the other guy only owns one sheep, and it's like their, their family pet. And so the guy who owns the big flock has a guest come, and instead of killing all of any of his uh, livestock, he kills the one pet of his neighbor, and David gets all fired up. He's all like super angry. He says, that guy deserves to be punished. And Nathan says, you're that guy. Actually, that was just a trick. And that's what Amos is doing here. He's saying, Are you, aren't you so mad at the evils of the world? Don't you think God should judge it? That's you. Uh-oh. We don't necessarily like it, but this is why we need prophets. We need prophets. We need Amos in the Bible because it is so easy. Tell me you can't identify with this, right? It's so easy to develop a kind of smug self-righteousness. You sort of select a few things that you want to, uh, maybe you're more naturally good at, and you go, oh, the, oh look at how good I am at these, and oh, I'm so glad I'm not bad like, at these things like other people. And, and you develop a smug self-righteousness, or like the people that Amos is writing to, a kind of a victimization. Like the bad guys are out there. Oh, what the Chinese are doing to us. Oh, oh, what the Russians are doing. And it allows us to justify our idolatry, our immorality, injustices. Well, I can't, I can't help it. Look at what they're doing. And this is where the people that Amos is writing to are. You know when you, uh, sometimes like you're, you're out shopping maybe, uh, this, maybe this is an old person illustration but you would you would see yourself in multiple mirrors you look in this mirror and you happen to like there's another mirror in the fitting room or whatever and you see yourself from an angle that you don't normally see yourself from and you go 
What? <laughs> right? The prophets are giving us that, that picture of ourselves from an uncurated angle. We, this happens probably more of, like, you know, somebody's taking a video of something that you're in, or there's a picture of a group. And again, you're getting a picture, you're seeing a picture of yourself from an uncurated angle, right? Nobody gets their senior pictures, you know, taken like this, right? <laughs> so it's an uncurated angle. So you see yourself like that and you go, oh no, I need to either buy a treadmill or burn that picture. <laughs> like, this is not a great situation. This is what the prophets do for us. Israel needs to look in the mirror. They need to look in the mirror to see what God is seeing. What we read in the book of Amos, what they heard from Amos, was going to make them uncomfortable. Is it okay to be made uncomfortable? Let's dig into this a little bit more. Why is God so mad at the people of Israel? He's mad at the people of Israel in exactly the same way that He's mad at all the nations. Why is this the case? It's because Israel is full of the sins of the nations. Let's look at a little bit of what Amos points out. Israel is just as full of the sins of the world as the world is. Let's look at chapter 2, verse 6. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Israel and for four, I will not revoke the punishment, because they sell the righteous for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. There's a big uh, wealth disparity in Israel. Those who trample the head of the poor into the dust of the earth and turn aside the way of the afflicted. A man and his father go into the same girl so that my holy name is profaned. They lay themselves down beside every altar on garments taken in pledge and in the house of their God they drink the wine of those who have been fined. If you have any sort of exposure to the ways of the world, you can see all sorts of collusion there between religion, between business, like idolatry, immorality, injustice, all mixed up in Israel. Look with me at chapter 3, verse 13. This is beyond our reading, but we'll go ahead and read some of it here. Amos chapter 3, verse 13. Hear and testify against the house of Jacob, declares the Lord God, the God of hosts, that on the day I punish Israel for his transgressions, I will punish the altars of Bethel, and the horns of the altar shall be cut off and fall to the ground. That's Israel's false temple that they were using to worship their false gods. But it's not just religion. What does he say in 15? I will strike the winter house along with the summer house. The houses of ivory. We're talking about decadent affluence. The great houses shall come to an end, declares the Lord. Hear this word, you cows of Bashan, who are on the mountains of Samaria, who oppress the poor, who crush the needy, who say to your husbands, bring that we may drink. The Lord God has sworn by his holiness that behold, the days are coming upon you when they shall take you away with hooks, even the last of you with fish hooks, and you shall go out through the breaches and each one straight ahead, and you shall be cast out into Harmon, declares the Lord. The sins of the nation, the gross decadence of affluence, the immorality and justice that that flowers in the shade of political corruption, is there in Israel among the people of God just as it is among the nations of the world. 
And what makes this so much more disgusting and what makes this an object of Amos's scorn and God's anger is because Israel should have been full of something else. Israel should have been full of the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. You can see this in chapter 2, verse 9. After describing these injustices and immorality and idolatry, he says in verse 9, Yet it was I, the Lord, who destroyed the Amorite before them, even though their height was like the height of the cedars and who were as strong as the oaks, I destroyed their fruit above and the root beneath. And it was I who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. I led you 40 years in the wilderness to possess the land of the Amorite. I raised up some of your sons for prophets and some of your young men for Nazarites. Is it not indeed so, O people of Israel? In chapter 3, verse 1, Hear this word that the Lord has spoken against you, O people of Israel, against the whole family that I brought up out of the land of Egypt. You only have I known of all the families of the earth. You only have I known. Therefore, I will punish you for all your iniquities. Israel could have known God for the sake of the world. Everybody everywhere is trying to figure out what are the gods? What are they like? How can we please them? You might say, well, we in our sophisticated world, we don't have any more gods, but everybody's searching. What are they searching? How do I, how do I be happy? How do I get more money? How do I deal with pain? How do I help my mental health? Right? It's the same questions we've been asking the gods for millennia. And everybody wants to know who is the God, and how can the God be known, and how can the God be pleased, and how can I live according to the way of the God? And God made himself known to one people. They were supposed to be full of the light of the glory of God. They were supposed to know God for the world. But now, he says at the end of chapter 4, now they will meet God in anger. Chapter 4, verse 12, Thus will I do to you, O Israel, because I will do this to you. Prepare to meet your God. They should have, they were known by God. They should have known God. But now they're going to have to meet him in a way that they don't want to. And so, God is angry because this is what's there, but this is what should have been there. And it makes it so much more terrible. I mean, imagine that you're invited over to a friend's house for Thanksgiving. And they're, they're pretty well off. They've got a, a great you know, dining room. And, and it's gonna be a, you know it's going to be a killer spread. And there's a couple other friends coming. You're really excited about it. And you, you, know, you can see the, the lights are on. There's music coming in. You walk up to the door. They open the door. They greet you. And then a strange smell hits you. And you're not really happy with this smell. You're thinking, oh. But... But you think, well, maybe that's just, I don't know, something, just an accident or something. But you, you move in, and, and the closer that they bring you in to the dining room, the worse the smells get. And finally, to your horror, when they open up the doors and you all walk in to take your seat at the table, in the place of what should be turkey and cranberry sauce and mashed potatoes and stuffing and, and gravy and all of these warm and wonderful smells, there's, there's rotting meat, rotting vegetation, what looks like excrement, you're horrified, right? You would encounter these things on a hike in the woods, right? I mean, we hike in the woods, we encounter rotting vegetation. It's not like, oh, you know, we encounter animal excrement. But what's terrible about it is it's here in this place on this special day where this should be what we need for life and joy. But instead, it's this. And it makes it from just gross to being horrific and traumatic 
And that's what God's in. That's what I see. That's what I see in Israel. Look with me at chapter 4, verse 6. I want you to understand something about God. Right? He's, he's angry at this situation, but, but look at what is his objective here in chapter 4, verse 6. He says, I gave you cleanness of teeth in all your cities and lack of bread in all your places, yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. Verse 7, I withheld the rain from you. Now look at the end of verse 9. Yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. That was verse 8. Verse 9, I struck you with blight and mildew. Look at the end of that verse. Yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. Verse 10, I sent among you a pestilence after the manner of Egypt. End of verse 10. Yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. Verse 11, I overthrew some of you. End of verse 11. Yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. What is the Lord's objective with what he is doing to the people of Israel? To get them to return to him. God wants Israel to return to him. Israel is part of God's plan. Hear this. To not punish his people. <laughs> We're reading all this horrific stuff. This is God's plan to not punish them. He wants to glorify them. He wants his glory and goodness and grace to fill the earth from Israel. That's what he's trying to do here. But as we've pointed out last week, as we've already seen, rising affluence turned their worship of God into some kind of social performance. It became very hypocritical. Greed increased. Injustice increased. Hypocrisy increased. The people who should have been doing justice, the people who should have been saying, we have been, we've received so much grace in the covenant love of our God. We have been forgiven so many sins. We have been set free as we were slaves and sojourners and and so, who's the slaves and sojourners that we can set free? Who are the people that we can show covenant love to and grace to? That's what should have been happening. But what instead happened was they were excusing, they were ignoring, they were allowing, they were participating in social evils. They had broken faith with God. They had left their identity as God's covenant people and they had left their mission to carry God's covenant love into the world. Israel needs to look in the mirror to see what God sees. All right, how are we going to bring this into our world? It's, I had a hard time with this, right? I think we read this, and the parallels between Amos' historical situation and our world feel so thick that it's, it's, it would be easy and natural to just read Amos and say, oh my goodness, that's happening here. Oh my goodness, this is happening here. Look, 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 look. You're bad, you're bad, you're bad, you're bad. And I get that. That's, that's not an entirely bad impulse. But uh, we, need to read, we need to make sure that we read Amos in light of Jesus. Right? Amos is not just like uh, contains some wisdom for living like you know, Sun Tzu's Art of War or the I Ching or something like that. It's not just a found historical document that interestingly has some resonance with values we share. That's not what it is. It's something from the Lord God to, to accomplish the primary thing, like everything in Scripture, to increase our faith in His salvation, to increase our faith in Messiah. And so now that Messiah has come, we need to go back and read Amos a little bit differently. Which is great because, you know, Jesus was one of the people of Israel. He was one of the people to whom Amos had come. Jesus grew up reading Amos. Jesus was one of the covenant 
members on whom salvation depended. Jesus was one of the people who was supposed to live in the nation full of the light of the knowledge of God, but who was instead living in a very different world. When Jesus came to Israel in the first century, Israel was still under Roman rule. Even though they were living in Palestine, they were living in the Promised Land, they were actually still in exile. They were still under Roman rule and they were in exile because of covenant unfaithfulness. What Amos is talking about is what the Israel Jesus was born into was experiencing. Punishment, judgment, exile. So Jesus came to do what? He came to fulfill the covenant. He came to fulfill what Israel was failing to do. He came to do it. Remember when Jesus gets baptized by John the Baptist and John's like, holy smokes, hang on, buddy. You need to be baptized in me. I know who you are. Jesus says, no, we got to do it this way. We got to do it this way to fulfill all righteousness, which is Bible language for saying, we got to do it right this time. We got to do it right this time. I'm here to do it right, John. So Jesus came to fulfill that covenant and, of course, to absorb the penalty of Israel's covenant breaking. Israel took some of it. Judah took some of it. Jesus took all of it. And because Jesus did this for the covenant that God had made with Israel, he was able to do this and extend that grace to us. When, when the angel tells Joseph in Matthew chapter 1 to name him Jesus, he says, because he will save his people from their sins. He will save Israel from their sins. But then you remember what John the Baptist tells his disciples when he sees Jesus in John 1? He says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus took away the sins of his people, and so he's able to offer that forgiveness to all of us. <coughs> So, hey, let's celebrate. Let's sing, let's sing about Jesus, right? Because we don't have to live under what, the horrible things that Amos is prophesying. Christ, right, there, there is now no need. There is no threat of any anger, curse, punishment, judgment. Christian, you are not living under any threat of any anger from God, any curse, any punishment, any judgment, none at all, none whatsoever. He's not going to necessarily save you from the consequences of your decisions or the consequences of other people's decisions. In fact, we know that it's through, his, through our afflictions in life that we come to know his comfort. But that is not, and I want you to get clear on this, that is not his anger or some sort of punishment, retributive justice coming against you. We have no need to be good. That's a dangerous thing to say. We have no need to be good in order to enjoy the blessings that God gives us in Christ. We have only to what? To trust Jesus and receive them. Like the Apostle Paul said in Galatians, he said, you're heirs of everything. Jesus made a new covenant in his blood and he did it all. The prophets make us uncomfortable. Is it okay to be uncomfortable sometimes? But friends, don't ever read the prophets and feel ashamed or afraid. It's a big difference. It's okay to be uncomfortable. Don't ever feel ashamed or afraid. So how should we read Amos 1 to 4? How should we read this and apply it? Well, remember we talked last week, the prophets hold up a mirror to us and they invite us to reflect, what is it that we see? 
Now again, I, I want, we're in a, this is a complicated place because I just told you, you don't have to be afraid, you don't have to be ashamed, but we do want to look at ourselves clearly, right? We want to figure out whether we need to burn the picture or buy a treadmill, right? We need to, we're in that moment when the prophets speak to us. Now you might not like what you hear and what you see, but we do not need to hide behind a too simple idea of grace. The book of Amos is grace. Don't be afraid to look in the mirror of God's word. It can make us feel uncomfortable when we read this stuff, but you know what else is uncomfortable? Hunger. Anybody here hungry right, now, right about now? Skip breakfast and it's, it's coming, coming for you? Hunger, is hunger a sign of disease? Hunger is a sign of health. You should be getting hungry about now. Right, so hunger is a sign of health. When the prophets show you things and it makes you feel uncomfortable, that's okay. You know, what God is doing in the book of Amos is the same for them then is the same thing he wants to do through Amos for us today as well. He wants to stir us up to love and to good works. That's the language of the author of Hebrews. But that's what Amos is trying to do. He wants Israel to love people and do good works. Amos is trying to accomplish, a, he, the only thing that matters for Amos, we might say, is faith working through love. Have you heard that before? We just, we're in the book of Galatians and, and talked about that every week. Faith working through love. That's what God in Amos want the people of Israel to do. That's what Amos is doing for us as well. We listen to Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. What is Jesus doing when he says, uh, you have heard it said, don't murder, but I say, don't even hate anybody. He's saying, hey, let's look in the mirror for a second. You think you're doing great because you haven't killed anybody? Like, I think we'd all be like, oh, I'm so great. He's like, well, when's the last time you were a jerk? When's the last time you were really rude and hurtful, Right? He's saying, let, 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 you know, I want you to be a little bit uncomfortable. This is what Paul's saying in 2 Corinthians 6, 1 to the Corinthian church. He says, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. He's saying, you've received the grace of God. Uh, how's that going? It's what Paul says in Galatians. I saw, he says about Peter and Barnabas, that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel. He's saying, you can have the truth of the gospel and be living at cross purposes with it. What James says, he says in James chapter 1, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. That happens. If anyone's a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his face in a mirror. That's where I got the mirror thing from. He looks at himself and he goes away forgetting what he looks like. That's not, that, that happens, right? That happens to us. Physically, spiritually, morally. This is what God is trying to to accomplish in our lives through Amos. God wants us, just like he wanted the people of Israel, to step away from an identity defined by affluence, conspicuous consumption, securities, education, experiences, right? A man's life does not consist of what he possesses, Jesus said. We need to find our identity somewhere else. He wants us to Find our identity not in our affluence, not in the stuff we own, not in our accomplishments or the things that our money has been able to buy for us. He wants us to be full of his light and not full of the sins of the world. Have you heard this old, uh, old preachy, old-timey preachy, preacher illustration of a, uh, a ship? If it's not in the water, it's not doing its job, but if 
It's full of water. It's in bad trouble. Right? The ships need to be in the water, but the water needs to keep out of the ships. God wants us to be full of light. He wants us to not be full of the sins of the world. He wants us to, in old-timey words, He wants us to be holy. He wants us to be holy. He wants us to be His. That's what holy means. Every time you read the expression, be ye holy, I want you to hear God saying, be ye mine. Be ye mine. God wants us to do what is right. He wants us to be righteous. He wants us to be on the side of the poor and the oppressed, the overlooked, to not look away or hide or make excuses. You remember when Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness? Are you here, friends? Are we, do we hunger and thirst for righteousness? There's so many people in, in our world, when you present unjust situations to them, they immediately try to hide, look away, make excuses, justify it, get away from it. Amos is exposing things that we say, well, that's like our world, that's like our situations. What is the Spirit doing? He's saying, hunger and thirst for this to be changed. Because Jesus says, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be satisfied. Don't be afraid to look in the mirror. Don't be afraid to look in the mirror of God's Word. What God wants us to see is who we are in Jesus and all that we have in Him. We need to look in the mirror. We need to look in the mirror of God's Word so that we see all that God sees in us. And Amos, just like all the prophets, it ought not to make us feel afraid. It ought to make us feel eager. Doesn't it make you feel, I want to see, I want to be who the Spirit of Jesus is making me to be. I want to be like Christ. Who here right, doesn't want to be like Christ? We read about Jesus in the stories of the Bible. We think, Oh man, he's so great. Like Brian was saying, he answers this stuff so wisely, so well. He's so kind. He's so strong. I want to be like Jesus. I want to belong to God and be faithful to him and be good like him. And so we need to look in the mirror of Scripture to see all that God sees in us, all that he sees for us. That, that hunger when we read Amos and we feel that discomfort, that's hunger that the Spirit has given you to to help you grow in the direction of Jesus and to direct that. That discomfort is hunger created by the Spirit to direct you and to help you grow. Now I know that when we read the book of Amos, when we read some places in the Old Testament, we can still be, we can see that mirror image, right? And we can still be shocked by it. That's what it looked like. Please don't be afraid. Please don't get be afraid. I know sometimes as soon as people start talking about social evils or injustice, evils in our society, some people begin to get kind of defensive. You touch on political points and you become argumentative. And I just want to say, don't. It's okay to let your heart break. It's okay to say this is bad and it shouldn't be this way. We belong to the most broken person that's ever walked this world. It's okay to let the injustices and the immorality and the idolatry of the world 
just break you. And the way that it stained and touched your life to just make you sad. It's okay to sit in Amos and not be happy. But then Amos doesn't just say, look at this. He says, look closer. Look who you are. Look, Christian, who you are. Because of what Jesus has done, you are the people that God knows. You are the people full of this light. You're imperfect and, and we're all weak, but we're His and He considers that good. So as we close this morning, let me just ask you to look in the mirror. Is there injustice in your life? Immorality, idolatry, complicity with these things, excuses for them? Probably. But I want, you to, I want you to see this. And I want you to hear yourself say this. There's probably idolatry, immorality, and injustice in our lives. But we don't want them. We want something better, right? We want something better. What do we want? We want what Christ is in us. Amen? That's what we want. So let's be what we are. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me for a moment before we pray together? Let me just ask you to look in the mirror and reflect for a moment. In what ways is your life, your conduct out of step with your true heart? In what ways is your life out of step with Christ in you? I just want you to ask Holy Spirit, to help you see, to help you grow. If you've got nowhere to grow, help us grow. Let's just take a moment, pray quietly, and then I'll lead us in prayer before we sing our closing song. Now let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for your word. Sometimes it tells us things that really are comforting and encouraging and, and make us feel good inside. And sometimes it says things to us that are hard and make us feel uncomfortable. And yet this too is your grace. As Paul says, the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation, but also teaching us how to live godly lives. And we need to hear the book of Amos. And Lord, we need to honor what it says. Not as those who are afraid of the judgment which all fell on Jesus and none of which is falling on us, but as those who see their pictures of Christ and his, his faithfulness to you, his love for his neighbor, things that we, we desire. And so, Holy Spirit, would you help us to see the ways that you are leading us to grow, inflame within us a hunger and thirst for righteousness, that we might not just be a spiritual people, but a people that do good, that do good in this world, and that the world will see our good works and give glory to you, our Father. So we ask that you would bless this word and let it dwell in us and among us richly. In Jesus' name, amen.